Last Sunday was the celebration of the baptism of our Lord, when we commemorate the fact that Jesus himself was baptized in the River Jordan. And we did this not only with words, but by incarnating this festival and the baptism of a child. It was a wonderful celebration, and I think it was a wonderful way to start off the year both here at All Saints and in our own spiritual lives as a spiritual community. But then time rolls on, and there's another Sunday. So on this Sunday, we begin the story of what happened next. Because what matters in the way that we follow Jesus is not only that we accept him into our lives and proclaim that we are his followers and his own. That is just the beginning. What matters is everything that we do next. We are baptized into this faith so that we might be given the strength by the power of the Spirit to go out and do God's work in the world. And so this story begins today. We hear this in today's Gospel lesson from the Gospel of John. Jesus has an encounter with John the Baptist, and it becomes apparent that he himself is the Messiah. In response to this news, Jesus' first disciples come to him and begin to follow him. We hear the story of Jesus' baptism in the other Gospels as well, just as we did yesterday. But you see, the thing about these stories is that they're at the very beginning of these Gospels. What we hear today is from the first chapter of John. But there are 20 more chapters to John in which we hear the entire life of Jesus, the way that he walked through the world healing and proclaiming release to the captives by giving people a brand new way to see the world, strength to live and to do good in the world until he himself was crucified and then resurrected again, opening the way of eternal life for all people. That's the big story. It's not just about coming to him. This is the beginning. This Sunday always sits in kind of a strange time of the year because the holidays have passed and we still feel the freshness of the new year, but it's not that symbolic beginning that we have at the very first week of the year. This is probably the time when you're already beginning to struggle with your New Year's resolutions or the grand visions that you had at the beginning of the year of what 2023 would look like start to get to that place where the rubber hits the road, and that's the hard part. Well, the same is true with the spiritual life. We have these mountaintop moments when we feel God's presence in our life and we dedicate ourselves to God. But those moments exist in part so that we can continue to be fed when the times get difficult, when the rubber hits the road, and we have to actually put into action what we have said in words. That's what this Sunday is all about, and that's what this story is all about. In our Episcopal tradition, baptism is an incredibly important part of both our theology and the way that we live out our life of faith. We believe that we are baptized with the same baptism that Jesus himself received, 
And that's why it's so important for us to bring new believers and children back to that baptismal font so that they too may understand that they are God's beloved children. But the thing about baptism is that it's just one part of the entire story. The other important sacrament in our tradition is the Eucharist, coming week after week to be fed with the body and blood of Christ, with the bread of heaven, the cup of salvation. You see, it's that dynamic between those one-time moments and then the daily, weekly, yearly living out of that faith that creates a complete spiritual picture. That's what the spiritual life is actually like. It's that daily practice, that weekly coming back, that is punctuated every once in a while by a moment when the Spirit breaks through and we know with all certainty that God truly is God and loves us. And then we go back and we keep doing the work, day after day, year after year. In America, Today, the predominant form of Christianity preaches that people who want to follow Jesus must accept him as their Lord and Savior. And oftentimes, this branch of Christianity places a tremendous amount of import on trying to convince people to accept Jesus. After that, believers come to the assembly and proclaim over and over again how much they love Jesus and accept him into their lives. I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that. And you might see that our tradition plays things out just a little bit differently. And so perhaps what we have to offer the rest of American Christians is a little bit of a counterpoint to that emphasis on accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It's a yes and type of response. Yes, we accept Jesus. And... We do that so that we can do God's work in the world. The two things work together, and you can't have one without the other. Proclaiming Jesus to be your Savior is just empty words if we aren't troubled by the same things that Jesus himself was troubled by. It doesn't have a whole lot of meaning to say that he is your Savior if you don't want to extend that salvation to those in our society who most need it the people who are in need of justice. Perhaps that is one of the witnesses that we can offer to the spiritual landscape of the United States today. Today is also the Sunday before the annual celebration of the life, witness, and martyrdom of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. And he himself embodied this very principle of living out faith in the world after having accepted Jesus or being baptized into his faith. Of course, Dr. King was baptized at a young age, but he had his own moments of revelation that seemed like a beginning in the extraordinary work that he was to do in the world. You might know a particularly compelling sermon that Dr. King preached in 1962 was called A Knock at Midnight. He was talking about the experience of being a pastor of a church in Montgomery, Alabama, when he was beginning to speak out in his work of civil rights. 
when a threatening phone call came. It was a voice saying that that person and others would come and kill him and his family, burn down his house. Dr. King was a strong man, which is why his vulnerability that he exposed in this sermon is so powerful. He said that that night at midnight, he came downstairs and couldn't sleep. He made a cup of coffee for himself and began to ponder his situation. Should he pull back from the work that he was doing so that his family would be safer? Or should he push forward and risk exposing himself to violence and retribution? Dr. King has a powerful line in this sermon. He said, it is midnight in the moral order. Midnight in the moral order. A beginning that happens in the dark when all things are possible in front of us and we ourselves must make a choice as to how we will fill the rest of that time morally, spiritually. Dr. King talks about how at that moment he knew that there was no one else to turn to. He couldn't turn to his father or to his mother or even to his beloved wife. But he himself had to decide on the conviction of his own faith how the rest of his life would play out. That was a type of baptism for him. A moment when he knew that he could have gone either way. But it was also an initiation into a new type of life, one that would expose him to untold dangers at the same time as giving a tremendous amount of inspiration and power to the civil rights movement that forever changed the face of this country and of the world. That's what baptism is. It's those moments when we ourselves choose which direction this precious life that our Lord has given us will go. How did Dr. King live out this life? Well, there's an amazing document you might have come across over time. He called it the Ten Commandments of Nonviolent Resistance. And indeed, there are Ten Commandments. He insisted that anyone who would work with him would swear that they would uphold these Ten Commandments in all the work that they did. And the fact of the matter is that they are just as applicable to our lives today. And if you're looking for a concrete way to live out your way of life in faith, then this is a pretty good place to start. So bear with me as I read out Dr. King's Ten Commandments. Number one, and this was most important to him, meditate daily on the teachings and life of Jesus. Meditate daily on the teachings and life of Jesus. For him, that's where it all began. Remember, these are commandments for action. And the very first one is meditation, to reflect on your soul, on your own spiritual path, on where it is that God is calling you to be, on what God is calling you to say and do in the world that is completely unique to you and that no one else in this world or this life can accomplish. 
Meditate. Number two, remember always that the nonviolent movement seeks justice and reconciliation, not victory. Oh, remember that in all that you do, you are seeking justice and reconciliation. That is the victory. Not slaying the dragon, not defeating your opponent, or making them feel bad, or making them look small. No, to do that is simply something hollow. Instead, what we are seeking is wholeness, not victory. Three, walk and talk in the manner of love, for God is love. These words might sound similar to something that we hear in our own liturgy all the time, taken from Ephesians chapter 5, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us in offering and sacrifice to God. These words written thousands of years ago surely applied to the life of Dr. King, and they apply to our lives too. Four, pray daily to be used by God in order that all men might be free. Pray daily that you yourself might be a vessel of what it is that God has to do in the world, which is the liberation of all people. Five, sacrifice personal wishes in order that all men might be free. We naturally spend so much of our lives pursuing our own personal interests, making our lives richer and more comfortable, giving ourselves some kind of status in society, a little niche and a place for ourselves and those who love us. And that can be very righteous work. But in the work of nonviolent resistance, Dr. King tells us that we must sacrifice our own personal wishes so that everyone might be free. Because ultimately, if you yourself are comfortable and your neighbor is not, then your comfort is incomplete. Number six, and boy, could we really use this one. Observe with both friend and foe the ordinary rules of courtesy. Because you see, something that people forget about Dr. King is that in addition to everything else that he was, he was a gentleman in the way that he dealt with his fellow human beings. And it really didn't matter who it was. It turned out that not only is that a nicer way of being in the world, but ultimately it also has the potential to convince other people to do what you want them to do. In Dr. King's dealings with President Johnson, it was the rapport that the two men built together and the courtesy with which Dr. King treated him that ultimately led to the passage of the Civil Rights Act. Seven, seek to perform regular service for others and for the world. This is one of the hallmarks of a Christian community, seeking to perform regular service, not just one-offs. We gather together to uphold one another to bear each other's sorrows and burdens, and also to lift up each other in joy. And we do so so that we can also go out into the world and serve those who most need it as a community in this church and in our lives outside of this place. Eight, 
Refrain from the violence of fist, tongue, or heart. We all, at one time or another, have an impulse towards retribution. And yet Dr. King tells us that we must refrain from violence. This, of course, is one of the hallmarks of his nonviolent resistance movement. And yet note that he doesn't just talk about the violence of the fist, but also of the tongue, those sharp barbs that we can send at one another, and of the heart, ultimately, finding a place within ourselves and our spirits, even for those who would seek to harm us. Because that is the only way that we ourselves can be spiritually liberated. Two more, and they're really good ones. Strive to be in good spiritual and bodily health. This requires us to respect ourselves, our souls, and our bodies enough as conduits of God's grace that we can be good stewards of them. And number 10, finally, follow the directions of the movement and of the captain on a demonstration. This, friends, is what separates a nonviolent protest from a mob. There we have it, 10 commandments. If you were looking for some direction in your life at the beginning of this year, Dr. King has some to offer for you. We'll post them on our website and send them out to you as you want them, or simply Google them. Print them out. Put them in a prominent place. Look at them every day. And remember that you are God's beloved children in this world. God is using you as conduits of grace and peace so that there may be justice in the world. That world that Dr. King talked about with so much vision and passion. If he had it, so can we, by God's grace. Amen.